What is up? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday. You know what that means. I am joined by another content marketer that matters, Cassie from the Dropbox team. This time, we are talking about communicating the value of content marketing internally. I know you've all been through this. I know you've all tried to build that business case about content marketing, your role, what it does, and the value it brings not only to your team internally, but to your customers. Conversation is around that. If you like what we're doing over here, hit that subscribe button on the 3C podcast, leave a review, tell me how I'm doing, tell a friend. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C podcast. I'm excited today. I am joined by Cassie. Cassie is part of the Dropbox team, newly part of the Dropbox team. Used to be a member of the DocSend team, a little acquisition going on there. We'll talk about some content, her role. She wrote an article that I think is interesting to me and I think would be interesting to the audience. So we'll get into that. But without further ado, how are you doing today, Cassie? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I think, you know, just in the technology space, you know, their acquisition happens and, you know, people join other companies. It seems like overnight I've been a part of that. I'm just curious, just on your side, going through just moving from kind of the Dachshund family to the Dropbox family. How has that process been for for you? I'm sure you're learning a lot along the way. Yeah. Yeah. We are still very much a Dachshund team as well. So luckily, you know, they acquired us because what we were doing was working. And so they are letting us kind of March on um, with all of our activities, which is great. I think the biggest disruptions are just like processes um, and just figuring out like we're managing two emails and two calendars now and like just merging technologies and all of that that just kind of slows down the day to day. But all of our like initiatives that we had, um, the directive is do even more because it's working. So so that's good. Yeah, absolutely. That that's good. The uh, <laughs> bigger companies always buy other companies because they've been successful, and letting them operate like it sounds like they're letting you go is, is typically the right move. So maybe we'd start here. I think when we originally met, one of the things that I definitely the message resonated with me, and I'd love to have you maybe unpack it a little bit was talking about like in the like content role, selecting companies that value content and leaders that value content. I think so often like people in content roles join organizations because the company or the leadership team says we need content, but don't necessarily understand what they want the content for or what they want that role to do. So maybe like share some perspective, maybe on your end, just with that idea or that concept, like how important it is to, you know, in the evaluation process of where you want to work, making sure yeah. that the team that you're working for aligns with just your role and what you're up to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, beneficial to us is that content has gotten way more top of mind um, to marketers and to companies in general. You know, 10 years ago, it was probably like the 15th hire in a marketing team when they were already like meeting their numbers and successful. And it was okay to then invest in something that was a little more like not directly as directly like influential to the number. Right. And we'll get into measurement, but now it's, I would say like in the right companies, it's the third hire or something like that, or whatever it may be. It's much earlier on. So that all works in our benefit. I think one of the things is 
like to keep in mind is like, what are, I tend to join early stage startups. So when I'm looking at this, it's what are the few marketing activities they've tried and tested and are they working at my last two jobs at Docsend and at Atrium actually, which um, is a company that shut down, but they had tested two marketing activities that were really working and wanting to double down on them. And in both scenarios, one of those two was content. And so knowing that they've tested it and that there's something to build from, I think is one easy testament to knowing that they value content. In both of those scenarios, it was very apparent with speaking with the CEOs that that it was a key driver and differentiator as well. So I think executives and even sometimes the larger marketing team, based on how large the marketing team is, either gets the value of content or doesn't. Um, And I think that's something that you explore when you're meeting with people and really digging in to them. You know, I think if it quickly turns to like the quantity conversation of content versus the quality of content, then, then you know that they probably don't get it. Right. Cause there is like a long-term long tail, like goal and result as well as like short-term wins with, with content. So I think the best scenario you, you can have is having the CEO even understand the value of content and, and even want to be involved in it. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, we, I was having a conversation this week about a content related project that was going to take some investment. And we were talking about just the results and the return. And I think we all came from a place of, we want to do this. And this idea is going to be, is going to help support the message that we're taking to market. But like we as stakeholders in this project and as operators in this business need to hold ourselves to some expectations and hold ourselves accountable for the spin that might go into this and the results. And I think for for us, it was a really good conversation because everyone I was talking to had a marketing background and everyone knew that, yeah, if we launch, we invest in this project and we launch this piece, the odds of us getting pipeline and results in the first, you know, overnight or in the first months, that's, that's setting ourselves up for failure. So I think just with that, like maybe share some, some insights on just like, how, how do you educate, like manage up, educate executive teams, educate managers that content it's, it's a game of that's long tail. It takes consistent activity. It's not something that necessarily is going to drive pipeline overnight. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing is level setting on defining what content means to the company. It's a word that's just thrown around now. We want content. What does that mean? (laughs) Is it a blog? Is it even written? It doesn't have to be written form, right? So level setting on what is the, what is content to, to understand it can be pro, you know, certain companies, when they think about content, it's very product heavy content because it's a technical tool or is it thought leadership or is it research-based? So making sure that first that's like known to me, content is anything that's knowledge sharing or like information, anything that can like teach the prospect or the customer more to build that trust. That's the point of content is to build trust to move them down the funnel with time. So um, I think to educating stakeholders or executives or whatnot, it's about like zooming the picture out on, on that trust factor as well. And just not talking about the quantity. I've been in roles before where it was, we got stuck in the, how many blogs are we publishing a week versus, okay, 
can we just, can we zoom out, write one or two high quality ones, remove all those buzzwords and have them be super informative. And so I think that that's all just level setting conversations um, to have, to understand the effort and the, the level of effort versus impact that things can have, I suppose. Yeah. And I think maybe just one of those things that helps kind of bring people together and have conversations is dashboards. And you wrote an article on that. We're going to talk about that next. But before mm-hmm. I completely jump off this topic, the content factory produce, 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 like the more and more content marketers I've talked to, a lot of them feel like, you know, I'm on this content hamster wheel where it's just churning, mm-hmm. churning, churning, churning. And the more I hear that, like, and try to think about, okay, well, that direction within their business, why are they getting it? How are they getting it? Like, what's the catalyst? Like immediately I think about this concept of, well, they're doing this because they want to try to play into the algorithms of Google and they're consistently producing activity regardless of the quality. Like that means that they're going to get keywords noticed and keywords optimized. And then I hear all this and all of a sudden I'm like, well, you're creating content regularly for machines and for placement, but you're not creating quality content for people that you're trying to serve. So that like Mm -hmm. when you're talking through that, like that stood out to me. Do you have any like reaction to that? Do you hear that or see that at all in the content space? Yeah. Yeah. The balance of SEO driven content versus truly valuable content is definitely like a slippery slope as well. Right. I think there's a place and a time for both. I was just in a meeting and off like a marketing offsite uh, this morning. And one of the things that came up was we have some really high trafficked blogs and a lot of them were actually prior to me joining. So I'm not taking credit for that traffic by any means, but some of them are completely irrelevant topics to what we do. It was just keyword optimization to get that traffic and, and get up on those Google pages. But if, you know, one of the things that we kind of took away from the meeting was to look at before we personalize those pages, that was that, that was the suggestion, sorry, in the meeting was to, personalize those pages. We use Mad Kudu to, to really do some um, personalization, great personalization. But I raised my hand and I said, some of those probably aren't quality audiences, right? Because they're coming in on a topic that's totally unrelated to our product. So like, let's make sure that we think about the content on those pages before we start putting time and effort to personalizing them, because the quality of that traffic is probably, you know, something a little less than we would like. Um, even though they are constantly a top three, top four performing blog. Yeah. in the marketing that we do and the activities in the direction and everything we have, it seems like it's always volume, 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 more, 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 more content, more content leads to more leads, more leads. And then, but if you actually like take a look and like zoom into what is happening and draw parallels with people coming through the marketing funnel and going over to sales and those actually becoming a a customer, like it becomes very, very low. So I think just as I think about content to me, like it seems like we're moving in this era of less is more Mm -hmm. personalized is better. Distributing is key. And just, that's how I'm thinking about it. Like today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I think that's right. I think the other end of the spectrum is by the way, it was, um, 
mutiny we use for personalization. Mad kudu is the scoring. But anyway, the other end of the spectrum is that I once interviewed for this company that was in a very crowded space. And the goal that they were trying that this role was going to come into was that although all their traffic or a majority of it, I don't remember what percent was inbound, it was all paid inbound. It was not organic like trusted traffic, right? It was, they were dumping tons and tons and tons of money into advertising and basically had hit a threshold of like, we cannot spend any more. Like this is all of our budget. So we need to invest in content. And so like the, the uphill battle that you have coming into that role to start creating content and trying to create some organic juice to like balance that really skewed, you know, act in marketing was, would be a really tough one. And I just, you know, in that I, once I understood that I was like, Ooh, I'm not up for that. Like, that's just, you know, that, cause that will become a, that will turn into more and more and more content just to like, try to move that needle to in that direction, you know, cause there's, there's, it's not going to be an immediate, immediate change or shift that that company would see just by producing some content in the first like month or two. Right. Yeah. And I can tell you that's, that's, that's not a role. I want to, <laughs> no. I, I want to be stepping. That seems like an uphill battle for sure. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about, we've danced around the topic a lot. So let's talk about like tracking and dashboards. You wrote an article, a marketing dashboard to take action versus defend worth. That headline caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dashboards obviously are a part of marketing and there's this dichotomy, which I think you, you spell out in this article, which I'm going to put in the show notes. Everyone should read it, but it's, are we doing, are we creating these dashboards to track our activities as marketers and make inform our decisions? Or are we doing it to just like show our work and level up and send that up the, the, the flagpole to, to make sure that the executive teams understands what we're doing. So there's all of these thoughts and ideas when it comes to dashboards in general, but maybe talk about just like as general as possible, the role of dashboards and just like measuring success. Like what have you experienced? Um, and maybe what was the catalyst for writing the yeah. article? Yeah. Yeah. I think number one is defining the audience and the purpose of that dashboard because you try to end up capture, try to capture like every KPI or every metric you want to cover, but there's certain levels of detail or ways you like, I would look at a metric versus if we were reporting it out to sales, how we should look at that metric, right? Because sales does not care about a certain thing that I may care about that may move the needle. So I think, you know, the first dashboard that's created is usually just to inform marketers on how they're tracking to a company's larger goal, which usually just boils down to like, how well is marketing helping sales, right? And it's MQLs or it's conversion from MQL to SQL, it's pipeline influence, all of that, which is great, but it doesn't drill down into why something worked well or didn't work well. So you know, I think it's like first creating a, a, da- a marketing dashboard for marketers and, and really understanding like the types of activities and how you want to look at the data. So there's also two types of marketing activities in, in my view, and it's usually prioritized towards the former that I'll go through. So the, the first is time-sensitive activities. That is probably an event that's happening, a webinar where there's like a clear start and end date, and it's a day, a time, you know, two days conference, one day event, one day webinar, or a discount code that expires, something like that. 
And then there's all these like evergreen activities that are, should not be measured the same as, as a point in time, time sensitive thing. So first it's like dividing out your two activities into those buckets. And usually content will fall in the evergreen bucket, right? It could be that you created something just for COVID and it was only, you know, related for, you know, relevant for a small period of time or for the election or who knows. But I think that's one thing is just like breaking out those two things. And then like to answer the why on how to measure those things differently. So usually you're looking at like performance of an individual campaign or campaign types or aggregated lead source. Like, is this channel working regardless of what campaign is out there? But I think what that doesn't tell you is like, are the topics resonating and with what personas? So instead of looking at this webinar worked on series A fundraising, I think was the example I gave in the article, like you could assume that all webinars work, right? That could be your assumption. But what if you just looked at series A fundraising as a topic, regardless of the channel campaign or medium, is that working? And so zooming out to, and is it working with the audience that you think? So looking at the quality of those campaign members, leads, contacts, whatever, to know that you don't just make the blanket statement on the, let's invest in more webinars. Let's like look at the topics that are resonating and, and see that we should double down on those things, regardless of the format of content. Yeah. So I think one of the hardest parts, uh, I think one, it's great to be mindful of this. And I think all the advice you just gave is, is definitely something we should all be thinking about and taking into consideration. To me, I think the hardest part is always zooming out and looking at dashboards and looking at what you're tracking and identifying everything you just talked about and how that can inform the work and make it better and make uh, all of your activities more direct. But then there's there's the production factor too. So like, how do you like, as someone who's creating content, how do you spend your time like creating content, spending time creating, and then also making sure you're dedicating enough time to like zoom out and make sure you're like analyzing and looking at the content performance and what's happening so you can refine along the way. Like how do you balance that out in your role? Yeah. I mean, I think they're different skill sets. I think we previously talked about this as well. Like there are, when you're hiring on a content team, there are people that are just core writers and tell really good stories, but they're not thinking about the format or the medium or the digestion of that content. I think you need to have that balance on your team or in the team lead to have that in their skill set to be able to look at. I've always told the people on my team, teams that I've had, you know, if, if you're a content marketer, your job is just as much to make sure that content gets the eyeballs it deserves. You may not be running that digital channel, but you better be making sure that that digital marketer is running your campaigns and optimizing them, right? Because why in the world create something that's 10 pages long and then not have that get its exposure, but also like secondary to that, like if it's a 10 page piece, like we do a lot of research at DocSend with a lot of, lot of data in it, like there should be a plethora of deliver uh, de- derivative content that comes from that. So just sharing the report landing page again and again and again is not going to get you like, not going to do the report justice. Not only is it going to get disengagement, but like if you were to take those data points out and just do like 
small infographics or little like videos talking about a data point or two, like just to tease that out. So it has a much longer shelf life. So I think it's moving away from like, we've launched that piece of content. Okay, done. Now it's on the other team members in different functions to make sure it it gets the eyeballs. Like, I don't, I think that's short-sighted when it comes to like, you know, the role of content and the role of, of most, most content team members. So it's, it's a balancing act for sure. But I think if you're creating something long form, there should never be just the discussion of let's create another without exhausting the eyeballs, you know, the potential eyeballs that that, that first thing should should get. Yeah, I think it everything you just described just takes me to this like earlier in my career when it was like beaten down on me that like marketing and sales have to collaborate for each of those to be successful. And you can't just pass leads over the fence and then hope for the best and sales can't just sit back and grab the leads and not communicate. There needs to be like mm-hmm. cross-functional work. And it sounds like that, like from your perspective, that can even be taken one step further back in like, there needs to be in cross department work on these activities and making sure that like people don't just wipe their hand clean based on their role in the process once it's done. Mm-hmm. But the more there's communication and collaboration, the odds are that more eyeballs, more people involved, more stakeholders, better results. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a matter of like, a lot of time when I, when I, uh, I or my team launch big content pieces, we will have like a kickoff cross-functionally within marketing. And even before we get to sales enablement, if there's a piece of that in the campaign launch, right. To just say, here it is, here are the key takeaways. Like, you won't have influence over like the media we gather from this probably because that's run in, in my team. But how can this go into nurture? How can this go into this or that or whatever activity it may be? And making sure that everyone has a, a slight, you know, a small responsibility into, into pushing that out there. And I think other functions should be doing that as well, right? But I think that's content sometimes has takes a backseat to like actually moving the needles on who sees what and in what channels. So it's really important to, to be the advocate for yourself, to make sure that your hard work is, is getting the exposure it deserves and you understand if it is or not. I love that. Maybe we close out with this. We've talked a lot about dashboards, working cross functional league accountability. I'd love to get your, your feedback here on just like communicating results with different stakeholders. Like what have you found, like whether it's before, during, or after co- uh, content campaigns or different uh, pieces of work that you've done? What is the most effective way that you've found to communicate what you're doing and its impact on the business with people directly or indirectly involved with it? I think it's a matter of always talking to whomever you are in in their light. So the first CMO I ever worked for, Corinne Sklar, who runs like um, some a, a IBM X, I think now in marketing, um, she would always say that W-I-F-M, what's in it for me? And so like making sure that if you're trying to sell someone on your content or you're trying to sell the like value of it, even if it's internally, like your skew, you know, you think about this when you do sales enablement, you always skew towards like, okay, why does sales give a crap about this, right? Like, and put it in their eyes. But I think you should always be thinking about that 
even within your own team, within anything on really saying, okay, this could really help. You're, you're trying to gauge retention, you know, improve retention in our client base. Like this could really help in this way. And so just making, you know, it's constant like buy-in and, and, and like selling of, of what you're doing. But I think it's also just zooming out on the quality of what you're trying to achieve and not getting in that quantity debate, whether it's quantity of content, quantity of leads, it shouldn't be that. It should be the quality of that. So we have, you know, we, I mentioned Madkudu, we have those scores. We're not, we're no longer, we're not measuring the amount of downloads we get in our research we're me- or the amount of social engagements, we're measuring the quality. So we want to make sure they're above a certain score threshold that meets our need, as well as like, we also have metrics towards the amount of net new eyeballs we can gather so that we're not um, just engaging our customer base or prospect base, um, but we're really helping move the the top of funnel um, in, in receiving those, those new quality eyeballs. I love it. So much good insights and perspective. (laughs) I appreciate you sharing. Before I let you get out of here, it is a marketing podcast. So you got to plug something like where can people, where's the best place for people to go to see your work or your team's work? Sure. We have, I would probably plug two. We have a newsletter, a weekly newsletter that goes out that's really well curated um, by someone on my team. That's docsend.com slash newsletter. It's on um, startup trends. We do a lot of fundraising research and based on our product data. And so um, we share founder stories as well as trends we're seeing in fundraising. So very, very relevant to founders. We also have a contributors program. So if people want to share their startup stories, fundraising or not, we have a, if you go to our site, it says like share your story under resources. And we'd love to feature um, feature people that would love to tell their stories and advice. We look to share, you know, candid, tactical advice with the community. So that's awesome. Everyone go check out that. And Cassie, thank you so much for dropping the knowledge and the insights. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much. I love talking with content marketers about real problems and things that we are all facing and ways that we can communicate that value internally and externally. Shout out, Cassie. Thanks so much. You signed up for the juice. Enjoy your frictionless content experience today. JuiceHQ.com. Enjoy your weekend. You earned it. I'll talk to you soon.